Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Everybody, how are you? That's doing that well, hey. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. Welcome to those of you listening in online. Glad you could be with us today. What an amazing morning it is in the church because we get an opportunity to come together in fellowship and worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. I don't know that there's a better thing for anybody to do because you know what, friends? The book of Revelation tells us that's what we're going to be doing in eternity. Anybody with me? So be prepared. I... uh, I put together a message today uh, that uh, I think is, well, you just got to listen. Um, it, it's based on Joshua. Joshua is one of the few people uh, in the Word of God who I can't find very many screw-ups with. Uh, he and Joseph were, like I said, about, about the only two, really. Uh, there are a few, but not very many. And so Joshua was a faithful servant not only of God, but of Moses and everyone he was under. He, he's almost a perfect example. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua 23, and then turn the page and hold your finger in 24. First three verses of 23, and then starting at verse 14 of 24. I don't want to read the whole thing because it really uh, is just too lengthy, and, and what we want to uh, take a, a look at is, is dealt with in these first two passages. Um, I've entitled this Joshua's Slam Dunk Advice. Uh, has anybody ever seen a slam dunk? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and, and in, the, in the NBA, you don't see it in college much. I mean, there is some, but there's not a competition for it. Uh, but in the NBA, there is. Um, and so these guys will find all sorts of different ways to slam dunk, right? And, and they'll uh, do it with people bouncing the ball to them and do all sorts of twirls and that sort of stuff. And I've even seen them do uh, backflips and then do it. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, I, I can't slam dunk because I'm not tall enough. Uh, I did dunk a, a, a tennis ball once. <laughs> and I, that's as high as I could get. You know, I could get my fingers over and I had to hold my finger and I was able to get that high. Uh, if I tried to do that now, something would break, I'm sure. Uh, but, but believe it or not, that it, it's pretty high. It's 10 feet, you know. Uh, and some people, anybody ever done a slam dunk? Anybody? So I think some could probably do it. I don't know. It isn't me. But anyway, so I like watching slam dunk. And slam dunk, to me, uh, the, 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 the way I like to use it, uh, when you see a slam dunk, there's, a no, it's no, there's no doubt that ball's going to go into the rim. It's going to go in the net, right? You know. And I've seen them. You ever see somebody slam dunk and miss? It's happened, but not very often. So a slam dunk is a sure thing. And that's kind of what we see in life today. We call something a slam dunk, it's a sure thing. It's probably not going to go awry. And so to me, there's not a lot of advice today that would be a slam dunk. You know why? Because everybody's got it. 
Everybody has advice. And you have to pick and choose which advice you're going to listen to and which you're not. The question is, which are they? Who are they? And I wonder oftentimes if we would rather follow our own advice or the advice of people rather than the advice of God and those who represent him. It's a fair question, isn't it? And the people of Israel are facing that very thing. They have to make a decision. And Joshua tells them, choose this day. Who are you going to serve? And I, I, this general, and, he, and that's what he is, he's not only a general leader of the army, but he's a leader of the people, and he's the, kind of their spiritual leader as well. Now, he has priests attached to him. But Joshua has to hear from God, and he has to look at everything as it relates to the people. Today, if you're a general, you have to do kind of the same thing. Some of them are good and some of them are not very good. I know that because I've served under both. And I think right now we've got a general that runs the United States Marine Corps that ought to be fired for a variety of reasons. We've, we've lost who we are. We've, we've, all of our armor has gone to the Army. Yeah, that's a bad thing. Trust me. And so I think that's a poor decision. I understand why they've made it, but it's a poor decision. See, you can make poor decisions and do poor things for an entity because the general wasn't very good. But I'm grateful today that Joshua was an excellent general. Not only an excellent general, but an excellent leader. And so let's talk about what he has to say to us today as we look at chapter 23. He says, it says, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well advanced in years. And I, I understand that, old and well advanced. You look at me and think, no, not so much, because you think you're right. Yeah, but listen, you start, it's a gradual thing, isn't it? You start to feel it, right? Anybody feel like they might be well advanced in years? Uh-huh. And you're, you're supposed to be wiser. You've heard older and wiser. I don't know that that's true. Uh, maybe in some regard, but it's supposed to be. But anyway, let's, let's, let's trust the Lord here that Joshua is older and wiser. And so it says he's advanced in years, and he summoned all of Israel, their elders, their leaders, their judges, and their officials. And he said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. At least he's willing to admit it. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. I, 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 I can't get that out of my mind. I think of all of the battles of my life. I've had a bunch. Still fighting some of them. And I wonder what it would be like to go back to the time when I didn't trust the Lord to fight for me. Have you wondered about that? I wonder how many victories that I have that I would not have had. I wonder how many times I would be crushed in defeat were it not for the, for the Lord, for His Christ. And I wonder how often in my life that I've thought, man, you, you fought the good fight, you did a good job there, okay? And I didn't do it at all. Because God fought for me. I didn't even know it. I'm sure it's true. Because there's been times I didn't feel like fighting or I couldn't fight. And there was God. You know, I think of the storm, right? And the disciples in the boat. And all they could do is bail as fast as they could. And it wasn't doing any good. And then look at him with disdain. He was there the entire time. All they had to do was ask him. That's all they had to do. 
and as soon as they bring it to his attention. And this is what they say. Don't you even care that we're about to drown? And Jesus wakes up and looks at him like, really? You really think I don't care? Because I was sleeping in the boat and you were trying to do it yourself, you thought I didn't care. And he proves to him immediately that he does care. <laughs> Peace be still. And the Bible says that immediately everything stopped. Man, I got to tell you. I love thunderstorms. I like watching them. I like getting a cup of coffee and sit on my porch and watch them. Some people are scared to death of them. But I love them. They're, they're calming to me, believe it or not. And I'm, I stand and, and look at them in wonderment. But I have to be honest with you, and uh, I don't stand with my coffee in wonderment when the storms are in my life. And I think when they're going to end. How did these start? Who did it? How do I get out of it? What do I do? And I think, when is this going to end? And God proved to the disciples, as well as me, that when I call upon him. And look at chapter 24, start at verse 14. Joshua says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord, get this, seems undesirable to you. And I think to myself, really? Does Joshua really think that somebody he's addressing would believe that serving the Lord seemed undesirable to them after all he had done? And then I look at our world today, particularly the church, believe it or not. I look at the church, and I think that there are some people in the church today where serving the Lord seems undesirable to them. Now, you want, might want to think, say, that, that can't be true, but I believe it is. And this is what Joshua says to those people. Then choose for yourselves this day who you'll serve. And they have. They are. We are. Whether it's the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. You, you, you serve whatever god you want. He's telling the Israelites and he's telling you and me who are reading it. You serve any gods you want. And Lord knows there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot to choose from, amen? He says, but as for me and my household, what are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. Friends, I've seen Christian households where one or two people serve the Lord and everybody else serves whatever they want. Not supposed to be that way. Because we're not leading our families in a manner and way that they ought to be in the Christian church. Okay? That's a sermon, though. Yeah. You're going to get it, too. But here's the deal. This is what the, what the people say is important. And then the people answered, Far be it for, uh, from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Oh, I'd, to, to hear that from the church today. Right? It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our forefathers out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. You see, Jesus did that for you and me. He led us right out of captivity under Satan's control. 
Christ did that for you and me. Far be it for us to forsake him. Amen? He protected us on our entire journey. Yes, he has. I look back and he absolutely has. And among all the nations through which we traveled. <laughs> you see how this kind of, what they did is what we're doing. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. God wants to know who your God is today. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> I, you, you give lip service, you want to, you, you, and, and maybe your heart is even willing. But your flesh is very weak. You want to, but to tell you the truth, until you deepen your spirituality, until you surrender completely, until you forget about yourself, concentrate on Him, and worship Him and Him alone, you can't. And that's exactly where the church in America is today. Right there. You want to, you say you are, but you really aren't. He says he is a holy God and he is a jealous God. I don't think that's ever changed, do you? I think God's still holy and jealous. What do you think? Anybody with me? He will not forgive your rebellion nor your sins. Why? Because you don't really want to be absolved of them. You want to keep rebelling and keep on sinning. Friends, if, if you want to stop, I mean, if you want to be absolved of your sins, then stop it. Grace not, doesn't cover sinfulness. It doesn't. It can, it, grace covers sin that's confessed and turned from. That's what it covers. And now the penalty is no longer yours to bear. That's what grace is. But those who use grace as a license to keep doing whatever they want, oh, that, it doesn't cover that. Now, does it cover sin that you don't know is sin? Yes. Does it cover children until the age of reason? Yes. Yes. Does it cover those who are slow in mental capacity? Yes. And a variety of other things. But those of us who knowingly are engaged in simple practices or make a deal with ourselves because others are doing it, and they're Christians too, uh... Not so much. He says right here, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, which is anything, by the way, that isn't him, he will turn and bring disaster upon you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no. I like to think, no way. <laughs> now don't say Pastor Dan's adding to the scripture because I'm not. But I, want, I, I like to think they said, no way, man. Because that's the slang of our day. No way. We will serve the Lord. And they did for a while. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. In other words, listen, you don't, you don't have to serve the Lord because everybody else around you saw you and heard you say you would. Because what are you going to do in private? You're a witness to yourself. Right? You know the promise you made. Because the question is, why aren't we then? Amen? See, you can't, you can't just serve God in public and in church. You have to serve Him when you're in private too. And I'm not sure we all do that. And you know what they said? Yep, we're witnesses. We admit it. Now then, he said, 
throw away the foreign gods or the strange gods. That's really a better word in the, in the Hebrew. Throw away the strange or foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts. In other words, surrender your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God. And what will we do? We will obey him. We will. When you said I do to Jesus Christ, you promised to do exactly that. You promised, friends, unequivocally to serve him and obey him. Didn't you? Didn't I? Didn't we? Didn't the church? Yeah, of course we did. So the question remains, hmm. Today, I want to focus on this last public speech made by Joshua, who was clearly a great leader in the nation, a man who was absolutely obedient and confident in his relationship to God. His speech, as you have noticed, is one of the very best ever given in the Scripture because it was not only heartfelt and true, it was also filled and filled and filled and laced with sound advice and, get this, undeniable reasoning. In other words, no one then or even today could find even one part of what Joshua said that is really not believable or even questionable. In fact, if Israel had obeyed and heeded Joshua's advice in, in later years, you know what? It would have spared them an awful lot of heartache, a whole lot of sorrow, and all the defeats that they faced. They would never have gone into captivity again. And they would have prospered as God's most favored nation, and that would never have left them. I think, friends, this is a wake-up call for the American church. I'm not worried about the church overseas. We got our, our hands full right here. Because we're no longer the world leader in Christianity. Our nation was founded on it, but you wouldn't know it. It saddens me that now that there are other nations sending Christians here, and they're increasing. Why? Well, you know why. Because it's so needed. Because we're no longer a nation really under God. And if we're going to look <laughs> at the Pledge of Allegiance, and I do, it isn't going to be very long that we're going to be indivisible. Do you understand? The only reason we're indivisible is because we're under God. And there are people even today clamoring to take that out. Gosh, you've taken God out of everything else. Why not that? So this is a wake-up call. And I, I'll tell you this. While we are enjoying God's favor today, and we still are, I, I think it's clearly waning. I believe it's expiring. But the good news is we still have time to listen to and heed the advice that Joshua gave the Israelites. If we're going to be brave enough, committed enough, and desired enough, friends, we can be spared the same heartache, the same sorrow, and the same defeats that they did. So let's look at Joshua's stunning advice because even though none of us can really know all of the future, we can know some of it. And while we can't know how or when tragedy might come for us as a nation, what we can know 
is why. We can know why. And it's pretty simple because we turned our backs on God. That's why. And it's just a matter of time, my friends. So Joshua's advice can change it or at least put it off. And so let's take a look. Number one, you have to get this. Joshua reminds the Israelites of their past blessings. He reminds them that it has been God who fought their battles and gave them the victory. You see, friends, I think that's a problem because you wouldn't think that Joshua would be compelled to tell them this. He wouldn't have to tell them. You wouldn't think that we would have to remind each other that God is the one who has given us victory in life. You wouldn't think a Christian would have to be told that God's the one that got you through something, would you? And yet, here's what happens. People tend to gain confidence in themselves after victory. Have you noticed that? And oftentimes what happens, it goes to our heads. I've seen it time and again. I've seen ball teams do that, get too confident, overconfident. I've seen wrestlers do it. When you don't lose very often, you're not accustomed to losing, and you do, it's probably because it went to your head. And then it's the toughest defeat of all. But that's, that's life. You see, it's easy to think highly of yourself. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's easy to think. You don't, you, any, okay, don't look in the mirror. You should, but look in the mirror. Don't look in the mirror. Look at other people, okay, for a minute. You know anybody who thinks highly of themselves? Who, who knows somebody who thinks highly of themselves? Don't. He'll yell, yell out the name. <laughs> Tell us who it all is. <laughs> right. right. But you know somebody who you think thinks highly of themselves, Yeah. Have you ever thought it was you? Has anybody reminded you that it's you? Oh, yeah. yeah. See? It's easy to think higher of our accomplishments than we should because when this happens, we tend to believe more in what we've done and, you know, more so than what we think of what, what God has done. And then pretty soon, God doesn't get the credit for the work he does and continues to do in our lives. Have you ever thought about that? Does God really get the credit for what he's done in your life? It's easy to do. And then I began to look at more of what Joshua was saying. I thought, okay, so Joshua now begins to teach the believers to stop and think of our past blessings. He told them, and now we have to do the same. Now, I'm drawing a correlation between the two, and Joshua told them point blank in person. And basically, from the grave, Joshua is telling you and me the same. To stop and think of your past blessings. Because when you're in a funk, and we all get there, or you're in a, in a, in a valley, you're in a, in, a, in a rough patch, here's what we do. You think about what you're going through, and that's about it. You, you focus on those things, and you think how terrible life is. Tell me the truth. And then you start blaming people. When you can't when you run out of blame for people, you start blaming God. Right? Now, I realize that this is the Old Testament, and Joshua was speaking directly to the people of his day. But God made his word to be the living word. And that means he's speaking to us, too. Therefore, Joshua's words are, are teaching us. And so, what does Joshua tell us prophetically? Because that's what it is, it's prophetically. He's speaking about future things. What does he tell us? First of all, we were lost. We were dead in our trespasses, transgressions, and in our sinfulness. Anybody in here care to admit that? Every one of us was lost, okay? 
Paul tells us so in Ephesians 2, 1. As for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. I don't know how you, you know, people say that the Bible's full of ambiguity. I don't know. I don't see it. But certainly this isn't. It's pretty point blank, right? You were dead, period. Okay? Now remember, Paul doesn't say this in order to make you feel bad or to make you keep visiting your past sinfulness and, and the guilt that comes with it. No, he's not trying to do that. He didn't want you to feel bad. In fact, he wants you to be delivered. But he is simply reminding us of where we came from and what God did to change it. And you've got to revisit that once in a while. Because I have to remember where I came from so I don't repeat it. Anybody? You've got to remember what life was without Christ and what it is now and say, yeah, there's quite, a, there's quite a big difference here, and I prefer the one with Christ. Anybody? He er, hello? There's a couple of you are in it. Come on, you guys. This is a big deal here. In fact, according to Scripture, something's going on here, Jonathan. We were on this, what I call the wide road to hell. When I was growing up, there was a show on television called The Wide World of Sports. Anybody remember that? It, who, who has no clue what I'm talking about? Yeah, you were born probably after 1980 or something. I don't know. Yeah. But The Wide World of Sports, it was on one of the three stations I could get on television. Three. And some people I knew could only get one. Now, if we could turn the antenna just right, we could get South Bend stations as well. I lived in Warsaw. We could get mostly Fort Wayne stations. We could get South Bend as well if you turn the antenna just right. And sometimes, Dad would make me go out and stand near the antenna. <laughs> right? That, I, I think that's child abuse. If he's listening, Dad, you need to... <laughs> stand right there. And then we got this big antenna, and it, and, and it had its own little thing, and it turned on its own. I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty clever. You know. Yeah, put up a big pole. But anyway, so the wide world of sports, that's pretty wide. But there's a wide road to hell, too. It's pretty wide. And there's an awful lot of people on it. You know why it's wide? Because it, it has to be wide for all the people that's on it. You understand what I'm saying? I, I don't think we, we really look at that too much. There's a wide road with a wide gate. And the fact is, without the power or ability to change our course, that's where we're headed. Paul says in Titus 3, 5, He saved us not because of righteous things we've done, but because of His own mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That ought to remind you of where you came from and why. Because Christ came and died for our sins on the cross. He saved us from our sins, and He alone changed our destiny from hell to heaven. I know He did that. There's no question in my mind that he did it. Now, I didn't always know I needed it. I didn't always realize I was on this road, this wide one. And he never told me that the narrow path with the narrow gate was going to be easy. But he told me that's the one you want to be on, though. Am I, am I resonating with anybody here? First Peter tells us he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to our own sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds we've been healed. I mean, that, that alone tells me that I ought to be reminded of my past blessings. It doesn't matter how long ago it was, he did it. And Joshua is simply reminding the people to remember what God has done. 
And you know, we would do well to be reminded what God has done. Now, not what God's done in general, but what he's done for you. What he's done for you personally. And the question is, what has God done for you? It has to begin with your own salvation. It's got to begin there, because otherwise you don't, you don't realize it. And then, from there, God continues to continually work on your behalf. I know that, because he's done it for me. Secondly, Joshua rem- reminds them of the future blessings that God promised. You know, it's easy to, to, to not be reminded or remember what God has promised us for the future. Because, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm a movie buff. And there's some of them I think are hilarious. I can't share some things with you because you'd be mad at me for watching them. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, I'm always gleaning something. Uh, and, and have you ever noticed that some people are always cheery and it's always a good day and they always say, good morning, good afternoon, how are you today? And you want to look at those people sometimes and say, what is so good about today? <laughs> they smile so much and they're so happy that you think somebody someday might have to surgically remove the smile from their face. <laughs> and you think, and here, here, here's the killer, and we justify ourselves in being angry and showing disdain to those people. <laughs> We're jealous of that, and so we get mad about it. Really? Well, the world could use a little bit more of that. And I suspect for the person that acts that way all the time, there's something going on in here. And then what the world offers. Anybody with me here? That's a fact. And this is what he tells the people. God will deliver you from your enemies. In Joshua 23, 5, he says, he will deliver you. And he did. And Joshua says he'll continue to do it too, long after I'm gone. Joshua knew he was about to die. And he said, God, if you continue to keep your eyes on him, he will always push your enemies out of your way. Wow. You know why God didn't? Because they didn't. Kind of food for thought today. You see, Joshua knows that his people are going to soon forget all that God has done if they're not constantly reminded. And I know we get sick and tired of hearing pastors say, hey, you got to read your Bible, right? you got to spend time in the Word. you got to pray. you got to fellowship with other Christians. Boom, boom, and boom. Yeah, 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 we know that. Tell us something else. Well, you got to get saved. Yeah, 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 we know that. Now what? Well, look here, kids. If you forget those things, you're, you're on the wide road again. You understand? That's why... We have to keep saying it. Joshua knows it too. We would be foolish to believe that somehow we're different than they are. I personally know that God has delivered me time and again. I can even tell you what they are. I'm sure there's some I can't tell you because I don't know about it. But I can tell you a lot of times when God delivered me. Anybody know that? Who knows it? Yep. You should, you, you should recall them all the time. How do I know? Experience. Experience. And not only that, God has promised us ourselves victory over our enemies. Now, how many of you knew that God promised you victory over your enemies? Come on. I'm going to put my glasses on see who's responding. Okay. Who knows that God has promised to give you victory over your enemies? Keep your hands up. Uh, the neighbor that doesn't have a hand up, nudge them. Okay, nudge them. Say, hey, get your hand up. Because if they don't know, write their name down, give it to me, I'll call them. Can you do that? This is the one time you can tattle, okay? 
So, so you know that God has promised you that, right? Okay, you've got to hear this now. This is huge. Who are your enemies? Right? See, and all these things are coming to your mind now, of who the enemies are. Now, this is difficult. It's a difficult truth, I think, for people to grasp, believe, and understand. Because I'm going to begin with one that everybody's going to agree is an enemy, but there's going to be some that follow it that many will find very difficult to believe are enemies. The first one is Satan. Everybody agree he's your enemy? James 4, 7, resist the devil, he will what? Indeed. Satan is and always has been the arch enemy of God from the day he rebelled. Yeah? But he was conceiving in his mind before that. That's sinful too, isn't it? Yeah. Of course, that's the sermon for another day as well, isn't it? So it is. And so he's the arch enemy. And for us as Christians, Satan is the arch enemy of every single one of us. You follow me here? Simply allow me to remind you Every single one of us knows that this is true. Billy Sunday was asked, why do you believe in a real devil? And you know the answer. He said, one, because the Bible declares him to be true, and secondly, I've done business with him myself. I suspect every Christian will have done business with the devil, or I question your Christianity. Yeah? Not if, but when. And so we know this is true, and I'm going to get into more of that in a minute. But anyway, Satan proves it every day. Has anybody ever felt like Satan was right there next to him, like you're giving him a piggyback ride. Anybody ever thought that? Yeah, and then he wants to crawl up and be on your shoulders. Who, yeah, and then he wants to get on your head. Yeah, and that sucker's heavy too. And he'll stay there and giggle the whole time. And if he's not doing it, he's got his buddies doing it. Yeah? So he's around, you know. Now, just as God doesn't always get the credit for what he has done, I believe Satan doesn't always get called out for what he does. Yeah? Sometimes he gets called out for things he didn't do. But, right, sometimes we, we, we did it. <laughs> yeah? We're to blame. We'll blame Satan for it, but yeah, yeah, technically all bad things come from him. But the fact is, it probably wouldn't have been so bad or even been there at all if we hadn't done something stupid. Made a poor choice. Right? Screwed up. Sometimes you knew it, sometimes you didn't. But nevertheless, now this isn't to say that Satan's behind every single thing, because I think he isn't. But he certainly does take advantage of anything that we brought upon ourselves. He, no, he likes to jump on that bandwagon, doesn't he? You screwed up, Satan's like, oh, I'll jump on that wagon with you. Let's see where we can get it to go. And he will use situations to make them worse. So Satan is your arch enemy. Secondly, society and the world is your enemy. Billy Graham did an entire sermon on this, and it was unbelievable. I'd, I'd like to, wish I could find it. It's out there somewhere. Uh, John, 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Yeah. But friends, I want to tell you, I think this one's difficult for people to grasp because most Christians today do not see unbelievers as enemies. Did you hear that? Most Christians refuse to see unbelievers as an enemy. Now, I'm not going to tell you to go out there and start making war against unbelievers. I didn't say that. But an unbeliever is your enemy. You, 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 I know you, listen, I know this is tough. I know it is. I get it. Because you have people in your family. 
You have, you have friends. You, neighbors, right? But these aren't my words. You, you know that, don't you? You know I'm not making this up. I wouldn't say it if I was. Most Christians see unbelievers as simply that, unbelievers. That's all they see them as. Unbelievers aren't our enemies. They simply believe differently than we do because society teaches you that. Friends, this is dangerous because the word of God tells us something very different. Romans 8, 7, Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is, get this, hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Friends, this is so easy to get. If unbelievers are hostile toward God, are they going to be hostile toward you if you believe in him? Maybe not every day, but they will be. Because you are endangering their thought process and their way of life. You're threatening it. And they like it. Okay? You see, why, why is this possible? Because unbelievers can't stand what we believe. They can't stand how we think. They can't stand how we're changed, and they can't stand how we live. And they won't do it at all. And guess what? They demand that believers compromise, but they have no intention of doing anything of the sort. Zero. And if you can't see that in the last two years, your head's in the sand. It's a fact. Okay? I can't be any more point blank than that. Don't take my word for it. Open your eyes. Look around. Now remember... Jesus said in John 15, 18 and 19, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why, Jesus said it, the world hates you. Who is the world? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. So you can see that when we believe that unbelievers don't or won't hate us, we are completely wrong because God says otherwise. He said it. Now, yes, I know unbelievers may not always show it, but the day is going to come when everyone will choose to love God or the world. And when that day comes, anyone who chooses the world will absolutely prove their hatred toward those who choose God. Guarantee it. The Bible says that too. Friends, all we have to do is look at the American Revolution, or the American Civil War. There were people in the same family on opposite sides and fought against each other. There is even proof that family members killed other family members over a conflict. If you think if you think that that was a fluke, you are dead wrong. I have seen social issues going on right now that we're facing that is dividing people in the family and even in couples. Now, I'm lying here. 
I'm making it up? Not hardly. Okay? If you're, if you're conscionable, if you're lucid, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, you can see it. It's right there. And you know what the social issues are. You know exactly what they are. And you have good friends that agree to disagree with you. You know it. And what happens when they're posed the question, are you going to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or are you going to choose Satan? And when you choose, because for some, it's hard, uh, uh, Johnny Ringo said, I already did it. Yeah, a lot of people already did it. Okay? So this is going to happen, my friends. It's a fact. God will also give you a victory over another thing, yourself and sinfulness within yourself. I need to be saved from myself. Have you ever noticed that? We all don't say, yeah, we knew you did. <laughs> because, because I know you do too. You all need to be saved from self, right? We need to be saved from ourselves. Because self is always filled with sin. Whenever you, whenever you constantly look at self, you're filled with sin. You have to be. Because you're not, you're not, you're not focusing on God. Rick Warren says it right. First, first line, it's not about you. And any Christian that thinks it is, is going to be filled with sin, I promise you. It's only a matter of time. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, this is, this is perhaps one of the most misinterpreted and misused passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. It is. 100% it is. Doc Coker and I sat at a pastor's meeting one day, and he was in a heated conversation with another pastor from a different denomination. I'm not going to get into that. But Doc Coker said, we are under the law. He goes, no, we're not. We're under grace. And he quoted this scripture. And I walked in and Doc said, would you? I'm like, oh, don't get me involved in this. <laughs> and this individual, who's no longer in town, went on to tell me how we're no longer under the Old Testament law because grace absolved all that. And I looked at him, and I literally got sick to my stomach because that is not what Paul says at all. He's not talking about the law of God here. He's talking about the law of the world and the one who runs it. You're no longer under the law of Satan and a desire for sinfulness and to have to do what everybody else does because that's what's going on. Satan runs this world. We know that. You're no longer under that law. God has given grace to bring you out of it. Because otherwise, there's a contradiction in terms here in Scripture. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not absolve it. So Paul couldn't have been talking about the law of God here because it would have detrimented itself. Cannot. Pastors, am I wrong? No way. Okay? So this is misunderstood, misinterpreted, has been from day one. And this is a problem. You are no longer under the law of Satan. You're no longer under the law of the world, this earth, because God has given you the ability to get out of it. What he's talking about here is not what most Christians believe, though. They believe that they don't have to follow any of God's laws because grace covers it all. Oh, my gosh, friends. God would never have said that. He would never have insinuated that. Jesus would never have taught that. And neither would any of his disciples or apostles or those who wrote in the Scripture have been allowed to put that any of those words in here. That would never have happened. And henceforth, it isn't. You understand? Misinterpreted, big time. 
This is not what Paul's saying, and it's terribly dangerous to think that it is. And I have to tell you, friends, grace has set you free. That's what Paul's saying. And what it means is you no longer have to follow the flesh, the evil desires, or what the crowd does. You no longer have to because you're not under that law anymore. Before Christ, you were under that law. You had no choice. But now he has redeemed you from it. In fact, Paul's very clear about it. In Galatians 5.17, and here's the kicker for me, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to what? The flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And right there is a case in point. You are not to do what you want. You are not to do what you want. Not my words, his. You are, stay with me, you are not to do what you want. But society tells you that's exactly what you should do. That is exactly what you're to do. Satan teaches them because that's the law out there. That's the way it is out there. And I look at Walter Cronkite, who's long dead now, and when he said, and that's the way it was on this date, I look at those days and wish that we were back at that again. Because we've gone so far to the right, so far, or so far to the left, so far to the wrong, we're in trouble. That's a fact. And it's hard to know what's even right anymore. It's hard to know. Not so much if you're in the Word of God. But if you're outside of it, or you put it on the shelf and never open it, or very rarely, or you start guessing and repeating scriptures that you think are in there, pretty soon, if you're not reading it constantly, you'll skewer those messages and they're wrong. That's not what it says anymore. You're close, but it's not exact. You know it and I know it. I've done it myself. It's not hard to do. I've even done it as a pastor. I've quoted things, and when I read it later, I, mm, that's not exactly what he was trying to say, I don't think. You've got to be real careful with that, friends. It happens all the time. So what I'm saying to you is that Paul put it right here in black and white. Now, you can see, friends, that if we believe that Paul is talking about the law of God, which he clearly wasn't, then he's telling us that we don't have to follow any of the laws in the Old Testament and that we can think and do whatever we want because we're under grace. Now, I think, friends, that that's exactly what many so-called Christians are exactly doing. That is exactly what Christians are doing. That's how they're living. And it's why so many are compromising and allowing simple practices into the church. And I am not a legalist. Don't you dare accuse me of that. Because I'm not. I don't think it matters if you wear pants or a skirt. As a woman, I don't care if you wear jewelry. I don't care if you watch television. I don't care if you, if you uh, uh, have your hair in a bun or not. I could care less. That's legalism. Okay, I don't care about that. I care what's in here. God cares what's in here. Okay? This is not legalism. This is bold-faced reason. It's truth. That's all it is. God said it, point blank. And I'm not misinterpreting it either. And I don't think anybody who wants the truth is going to misinterpret it either because Paul's laying it out there. Paul says that sinful practices are contrary to the Spirit. And friends, if the Spirit is in you, then you'll not desire sinful things. And if you do, you've got to have a deep desire to change it, to get rid of them. And with God's help, you will. And that's what grace covers. 
If you're involved in sinful activity and you know it's wrong and you're trying to get out of it like it's an addiction or something and, and you're trying and God knows your heart, I believe grace covers that. But you know what grace doesn't cover? When you have no desire to change it. There's the problem. And that's what we're talking about here. But the fact is, if you desire things of flesh and self, clearly either the Spirit isn't in you or there's a major conflict within yourself. And I've known Christians that struggle with conflict like that. They can never have peace. They do well for a little while and then dive right back in. Do well for a little while and dive right back in. Then they'll come and say they don't know where it's going wrong. They know exactly where it's going wrong. They're getting involved and think that they shouldn't. And they know it. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. And we know, don't we? And when you don't, God reminds you. <laughs> He's pretty quick on it, too. Yeah. See, this is called conviction. I've been under conviction before anybody. Not condemnation. Conviction. Two different things. Friends, good and evil, get this, and you hear it here, cannot coexist. Cannot. And that's why believers and unbelievers cannot really coexist. Not really. And they won't in eternity. Right? They won't in eternity. Now, Jesus said you've got to live in this world, but you can never deny who you serve and why. You should never compromise it. You should never hide it. You should never come to their way of thinking. Because if you do, you're damaged goods. Jesus said we cannot serve two masters. Now, he wasn't talking about this specifically, but you can't get away from this. He said you can't serve two masters. Why? Because you'll love one and hate the other. Which one are you loving and hating today? Right? you got to understand this. Thirdly, Joshua reminds the people of their own responsibilities. He says to put away strange or foreign gods and to turn to the true God with all your hearts. Now, the Hebrew word used in this passage means strange or foreign because basically Joshua is saying that anything we put our faith and trust in is a God. You understand that? Some of them are true and some of them aren't. If you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'd say you got a true God. You put it in yourself or other people or anything else, it's not. Well, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. It's exactly that simple. And as a Christian, that would be strange or foreign. So why do we follow these other gods then? I mean, it's a fair question. Why do you think you do? Why do you think people do? Because our desire is for those things more than it is for God. That's why. And see, you know why we'll deny that? Why we'll, well, we'll argue that point? Because we don't want to believe it. We don't want to admit it. But the fact is, you, just because you think something is so doesn't make it so. Right? How many times has that happened? I've been wrong before. Has anybody, has anybody else besides me been wrong? I think so. And I would rather know the truth and find out what it is. And if I'm wrong, I'll admit it. I don't like it, but I'll do it. Right? Our desire is more for those things than it is for God. And friends, that's idolatry. There's no way to, there's no way to get around it. It's idolatry. So let's look at it. Idolatry in a so-called Christian land takes on two forms today. And I need you to hear me on this. First of all, materialism. That's your first idol. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. That's all I got to do is quote Christ. Look at this. Luke 12, 16, 21. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves that is not rich toward God. <laughs> is it really your stuff? Should it really be for you? Oh, but it is. But it is, you see. And friends, this is really what the world's looking for. But is it really what you're looking for? Should it be? This is what the world does. This is their MO. This is what the ruler tells them to do. And so they do. Should we? Well, it's clear we can't. We cannot. I mean, I was at Walmart. I hate to admit it because I hate that store. I was at Walmart about three weeks ago. And this is no kidding. I came out, and there was two guys sitting in the front seat of a car, and one guy had a can of Raid, and he was huffing Raid. And I, and, I, and, I, and I did a double take. I go, surely that's not Raid. And then I realized it wasn't Raid. It was an off-brand, Walmart's brand of Raid. And I said, dude, what are you doing? He goes, he told me to. I'm like, and that'll make you sick, man. It's, it, it, it can actually kill you. Do enough of it. You understand? Because I, I spread it on flies. They don't. They don't like it. Too, not. They don't like it at all. I know you're right. You can spray that about anything, and it won't like it. I can promise you. I know. I know. It's just uh, you know. Uh, it's for flies. But you can spray ants. They don't like it. You can spray it on any insect. They don't like it. Why? Because I know what it does to them. Listen. We're out there huffing raid. We're huffing stuff that's not good for us. Because Satan says, go ahead. And the world says, yeah, man, let's do it. And God says, you fool. Now, I had to make you giggle to make a point. This, this, you, you know I'm right. This is going on. You fool. Is this who we really are in modern Christianity? Is this, is this what it is? Because it sure seems like it. We're all worried about our own desires and our feelings and being happy. Well, friends, happiness doesn't stick around, but joy does. That does. And you can't get that unless it's in here. Quit tying everything to happiness. Because that's a lie that nobody can prove. Because I can, I can tell you right now, there are lots of things that people thought would make them happy, and they got them, and they didn't make them happy. And that's a fact. But joy can't be stolen from you. You see, society has taught us to love idols. And it's teaching you to live another one. You know what I call it? Feel-goodism. What do you call that, Craig? A Dannerism, right? I haven't had one of those in a while. So you've been gone a while, so I can use another one. Feel-goodism. We, 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 that's... That's, everything's about that now. It's a big one. And the main reason I believe most Christians are playing church, yes, I said it, playing church. And when we do this, it's all about us and what we want, our own preferences. We come and go and pick and choose when we'll be in church, how and when we'll serve, and what we'll accept for conviction. That's what we do. That's playing church. Basically, we're pretending to be right with God, and it's really an outward form. That's all it is. 
Again, listen to Christ himself. Matthew 15, 7 to 9. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, you see people, these people who do this are worshiping Christ. That means it's believers. It means we're in church and we're doing this. We're worshiping him. But he says that our worship is worthless. Want to change it? Look at your next responsibility. You've got to obey the word of God. James 1.22, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Any person who listens to the word of God but doesn't do what it says is like a person who looks at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves goes away and forgets what they look like. Now, I think I've done a whole series on that before. And I've harped on this literally for years. And oftentimes, I feel as though I'm wasting my breath. And I've noticed that people don't really want to hear the truth. You know why? Because they really don't want to surrender and be obedient. That's what I found. They really don't. They say they do. But they really don't. And that makes God's words true, you know. They'd much rather do what they want based on their own thoughts, their own feelings, and then brand it as Christianity. Yeah, I said it. I'm just calling out what I see. Now, I could be wrong, but I doubt it. And here's the thing, friends. Simply because you attend church somewhere doesn't make you obedient. It isn't Christian, no matter how you, much you think it is. And I think about it. You want to change it? Look at your next responsibility. To be holy and completely devoted to the Lord. That's what you have to do. John 4, 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and also in truth. And for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Not the ones that come because they want to feel good about what they're hearing. Or that the music is the style they like. Or the people are the ones that they want to hang with. That, 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 that's, that's not what it is. That's what we've made it. That's not what it is. And I think I realized that when I was with my daughter when she was in North Carolina and this pastor came out to a smoke machine. I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> now, I, listen, I don't know what's in the guy's heart and mind, but I can tell you this. I wasn't impressed with what he said, and not one time did anybody pray in that service, not one time. And the church's name was Discovery. Discover what? It was all about entertainment. And when you do, listen, I'm not ripping on, listen, I'm not, I'm not ripping on another church or a pastor. I'm saying, this is what we want. That's why they do it. When people want that, you're going to get it. Because that's what pays the bills in your church, you know. That's what makes you feel good about having a congregation to preach to. I don't know any pastor that would prefer to preach to one or two people, or maybe 15 or 20 people, versus hundreds. But you know what? On any given Sunday, I don't know what I'm going to have. And I've had, literally with COVID, I've had to do it to one person. <laughs> one person. I never thought that day would come, but it did. And you know what? If I put any less effort into that, then I'm a problem. You, 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 yeah? It ain't about what people want. It's about what God wants. It always has been. And so here's the question. What would it take for the church, for Christians, for you to be holy and completely devoted to God? What would it take? Do you even know what that looks like? Do you think we even know what it is? We can. Lastly, I'm out of time. Joshua warns them of the danger of disregard and disobedience. He threatened, God threatened the people with disaster if they failed to keep his covenant. Now, I know a lot of people think God would never do that. I got news for you, he will. 
He will, and he's going to. Worship team, come on. I'm going to finish this up while you're on your way up. In fact, God brought destruction on the nation of Israel several times. Several times. In addition, we cannot keep disregarding God and his work, yet expect his blessings. Who do we think we are when we do that? You want to disregard God, disobey God, put him last on your list, and expect him to bless you? And yet we have, haven't we? That is exactly what we've done. The Lord himself told us about this in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we do many deeds and power in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. There are people out there today preaching God would never do that. He himself says he will. Who are you going to believe? The one that wants to believe that or Christ himself? That's up to you. Again, these are people who call Jesus Lord, which means they fully believed that they were Christians. They believed that. God says you're not. You see, the attitude we have today is one of lawlessness. I do what I want. I come and go as I please. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. We have bred an entire society of people who refuse to accept and submit to authority. Refuse. And if they can't respect authority in the home, in the school, or in the workplace, do you really think they're going to respect the authority of God? Never. And this is where we're going. It used to be slow, but it's picking up steam. Have you noticed? It's rapidly moving. And that means the time of Christ's return is rapidly approaching. Anybody with me here? Friends, look, I'm done. Stand with me today. I can't tell you what you should do. I can't make you do it. I want to, but I can't. In the end, you're the one that's got to make the decision. God is asking you if serving me seems hard to you, not acceptable, not desirous, then serve any God you want. But I prefer that you serve me in my house because if you do that, you'll be with me in eternity. God's asking you today, what are you going to do? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.